Sometimes I like to imagine the world after us, the strange mammals that will emerge, the abundance of biodiverse plant life taking over our fields and factories and so on. I don't think this world will be better. I maintain that we are the most interesting thing to happen on Earth, and there is real beauty and meaning in our curiosity and compassion, even as we also cause and witness so much suffering. But at any rate, there will be a world after us, after each of us. And that's why there's life insurance. It exists to provide a financial safety net to those who love and count on you. Policy Genius's technology makes it easy to compare life insurance quotes from America's top insurers in just a few clicks to find your lowest price. With Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that start at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. So save time and money and provide your family with a financial safety net using Policy Genius. Head to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you could save. That's policygenius.com. Policy Genius, because there will be a world without us. Hello and welcome to Dear Hank and John. Yours, I prefer to think of it, Dear John and Hank. It's a comedy podcast where Hank Green, who is me, and John Green, who's my brother, give you dubious advice, answer your questions, and bring you all the week's news from both Mars and AFC Wimbledon. That's true. How are you, Hank? I'm good. Oh, man. I, I, my hair is out of control and I can't find a time to get a haircut. It's a disaster, John. Mm, I mean... It's so it's so hard to be me. Haven't you gotten to a point in your life where you can just uh, call someone and have them cut your hair while you work? <laughs> I had not ever... I'd not thought of that. I imagine that's how the president does it. That's exactly how the president does it. He's like on the phone with the prime minister of the United Kingdom and... The, the prime minister's like, I'm sorry, is there some background noise? And he's like, oh, no, it's just, I'm just getting a haircut. Yeah, I uh, I actually uh, went to see the president, you, you may remember, not to brag or anything. Uh, but I, I was getting my makeup done by his personal makeup person. And I asked her, uh, you know, what is it like to cut the president's hair? And she was like, oh, no, 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 no. I do not. I do not cut the president's hair. He has a barber. Uh, so it's two separate people. Just... <laughs> so he has two. He has two people. He has a hair person and a makeup person. Yes. And the hair, I also the, yeah, the hair person comes into the White House and, and cuts his hair, uh, as far as I can know, in the Oval Office. So apparently, if you like, just look at the carpet of the Oval Office. There's hairs from every president. I, I think uh, they haven't. They have never replaced the carpet. That's amazing. Nor nor have they ever vacuumed it. Apparently. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, since you brought up the fact that you met the president, Hank, uh, as we are recording this podcast, I am hours away from what could be the most wonderful moment of my entire life. Of course, I have two beautiful children. I had a wonderful wedding day. Uh, going to your wedding was one of the highlights of my life. I've had so many great days. The premiere of the Fault in Our Stars movie and the premiere of Paper Towns, both wonderful nights. But tonight, Hank, here in Indianapolis, I have to tell you, Hank, there's maybe eight or nine properly beautiful days a year. Um, it's usually a little too cold or a little too hot or a lot too cold or raining, but today the sky is a cloudless blue. The temperature could be no warmer or colder and, and be more beautiful. It is just absolutely perfect. And do you want to know why Indianapolis has chosen today to bring out its best self? Yes, John, I do. 
it's because Taylor Swift is coming to town. Taylor Swift is here tonight, and Hank, uh, I I may meet her. Uh, like you're going to a Taylor Swift concert, and you will and you will watch her and yell Taylor, and then and then she'll no, no, look no, no, in no, your no. direction. I mean, I am going to go to a Taylor Swift concert and watch her and yell Taylor by all means, but also <laughs> I may meet her. Oh wow! Are, is she going to bring you up on stage to sing a song with her? I sincerely hope not, as my brother, uh, you are well aware that when I am brought up on stage by musicians to sing along, I perform poorly. (laughs) (laughs) Hank always kindly has me come out for the encores when I'm... uh, when we're doing shows together, and oh my god, I'm just the worst, am I not? You're not great at singing. Um, It's... It's kind of remarkable. And, and the funny thing is you're always like, no, it was, I did the thing. And I'm like, well, you did the thing. You just didn't sing any of the right notes. And, and you think you do, which is fine. And like, it's, it's fine to, you know, to not, to not have one of a million skills that, that uh, humans are capable of having. Uh, it's just, uh, yeah. you know, like all novelists, I desperately wish to be a rock star and, um, <laughs> It is true that I can't sing, but I I do genuinely believe that when we sung that song, New York City, by They Might Be Giants, at Carnegie Hall, and I sung the Statue of Liberty, Staten Island Ferry part, I truly believe I was on key. Was I not on key that night? Your silence silence has broken my heart. Yes, you were. You were were on key. (laughs) Are you lying to me? Is it okay for me to lie to you in in certain circumstances? No, just tell me the truth. Just tell no, me the you, truth. You I can handle it. You weren't on key. No, it's... Oh, that's devastating. <laughs> I can't believe you told me that. I specifically asked you never to tell me that. <laughs> well, tell me tell me more about how you're going to meet Taylor Swift. Are you going to like be backstage? Are you going to get to like take a selfie and like high five and ask her how she's doing? Hank, I do not know the details, but believe you me, on next week's Dear John and Hank, you will hear about them. You will hear about them in excruciating detail. Uh, I don't even know for sure that I'm going to get to, to meet uh, Ms. Swift, but regardless, I am going to enjoy the concert because, okay. I, as you know, I'm a massive fan of 1989, both the year and the pop album, and uh, <laughs> I am just so freaking excited uh i am i am over the moon i would like to thank taylor by the way for for making room at her concert for me in advance um and not to not to hijack the whole podcast but there is also other news in my life that i would like to share with you oh, which my is goodness. that i i have gone on a social media hiatus mm-hmm, i've stopped mm-hmm. up the, the posting on the tumblers and the twitters and the facebook so the only thing i'm really doing uh work-wise social media wise is uh vlogbrothers videos on tuesdays and then dear hank and john uh our 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 comedy podcast and uh it's so that i can write a novel and it's i'm only two days in so far but i have to say it's kind of great Mm. well i've identified a problem with your two pieces of news which is that you will meet taylor swift and and not be able to do anything with that you have to, you have to, you have to snap that, John. It turns out that you don't have to mediate experiences uh, through social media in order for them to have really happened. Um, that said, I suspect that I, if if I do meet Ms. Swift, that I, I may, I may in Instagram that event. But but we'll see. Life is life is long, and and who knows. Um, but I, I'm really enjoying my social media hiatus <laughs> because I have missed writing uh, so much. Uh, it's been so long since I've. I uh, had uh, two or three writing days in a row, like the two or three that I've had here. And obviously, um, you need, uh, you know, a couple hundred of, of those to write a novel. Yes. But um, 
but yeah, I'm feeling I'm 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 feeling excited. Good. Well, in in among your social media hiatus, I will say that I am Hank G R E on Snapchat, Hank Green on Instagram, Hank Green on Twitter, and uh, and and right here at Dear Hank and John on iTunes. Uh, so if you'd like to follow me. I will not be taking a social media hiatus. Oh, and Edward Spoon hands on Tumblr, and uh, and I'll be just I'll be making all kinds of interesting and uh, and 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 well composed filtered pictures of my dinner. And don't you want to see that? Follow me, Snap. Chat. I don't understand your obsession with Snapchat. You you really seem to believe that Snapchat is going to be the thing that breaks you out of your cult following into a proper <laughs> mainstream success. That like you'll you'll be on the uh, first of the all Tonight Show or whatever, and and Jimmy Fallon or I, I I literally don't know who hosts the Tonight Show. So I hope it's Jimmy Fallon. But whoever hosts the Tonight Show will be like, uh, so Hank, uh, you know, you had a big following on the YouTube, and of course, a big hit comedy podcast that was full of ruminations about death and Mars. But uh, it wasn't really until your Snapchat hit it big that the world knew about you. The, so John, the thing is. That the only following worth having is a cult following, because oh, I could not agree more. Yeah, like like mainstream success is just really unpleasant. Uh, so Snapchat is very good at cultivating that cult following, and it's just a, you know it's just a couple tens of thousands of people. Yeah, it's just it's a nice place. Now that you've explained it that way, I realize that I was completely wrong, and I apologize. Speaking of which, before we get to the questions, Hank, we need to apologize uh, to our listeners. Um, who like Mario Kart characters other than Luigi uh, and Donkey Kong? There was, was there was a substantial amount of controversy about that. Also, we spent a lot of time talking about it. Uh, so let's, let's spend a little more time talking about it. People were tremendously angry and hurt uh, by the way that we dismissed um, the likes of Yoshi, uh, Princess Peach, and even Bowser. Um, and I would just like to state for the record that, you know, I am a novelist. Hank is uh, whatever Hank does. Like, we are not <laughs> professional Mario Kart players. And I apologize for giving advice as if I were an expert. <laughs> also, as if we were, just to be clear, talking about Mario Kart circa N64. Yeah, I mean, I was talking about the, the Super Mario Kart that I played um, on a yellow couch in 1994. Uh, when there was no functional World Wide Web. So <laughs> just remember that I grew up in a different time. I'm from a different era. Hank, should we answer some people's questions? No, but John, wait. Don't you have to read us a poem? So Hank, you'll recall last week's short poem was by William Carlos Williams, who was a physician, often wrote very short poems on the back of prescription pads. This is just to say I've eaten the plums that were in the icebox, etc. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Well, this is a slightly longer poem. Uh, that, that I really enjoy. It's by uh, Kenneth Koch, often associated with the, uh, the beat movement. Um, somewhat unfairly, I think. But anyway, moving on. It's, a, it's called Variations on a Theme by William Carlos Williams. I chopped down the house that you had been saving to live in next summer. I am sorry, but it was morning and I had nothing to do and its wooden beams were so inviting. We laughed at the hollyhocks together. And then I sprayed them with lye. Forgive me. I simply do not know what I am doing. <laughs> I gave away the money that you'd been saving to live on for the next ten years. The man who asked for it was shabby, and the firm March wind on the porch was so juicy and cold. Last evening, we went dancing, and I broke your leg. <laughs> Forgive me. I was clumsy, and I wanted you here in the wards, where I am the doctor. 
Variations on a Theme by William Carlos Williams uh, from Kenneth Cox. <laughs> that poem's from 1962 and one of my absolute favorites. <laughs> that's, uh, that's nice, John. I liked it. I knew I could find a poem you would like if I tried hard enough. Um, I'm, I'm coming around. I'm coming around. I don't know that you're going to sway me into becoming a hardcore AFC Wimbledon fan, but you may yet make me enjoy poetry. We have a, a question, John. This question is from Anonymous who asks, Dear Hank and John, I have a very annoying housemate. She doesn't do her part of chores unless someone tells her. She doesn't have a job, so her parents pay her rent, but she still gets money from the government, and yet she can't pay her bills on time. She just sits around all day watching TV or singing. How can I get her to do her jobs and pay her bills and generally be a better housemate without sounding like her mother when I ask her to do these things? Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. Well, we've... We've all well uh, having been that housemate. Yes. Uh, I feel like I'm a bit of an expert in this. Um, <laughs> so for many years, I lived with my best friend Shannon James uh, in the great city of Chicago. Shannon and I are still extremely close friends. Um, in fact, she's visiting this weekend, and um, uh, I I was a very messy person. I mean, I have I have obsessive compulsive disorder, and so I have like some weird compulsions that, in general, make it difficult for to live with me. But um, but also like I'm just not a very clean person, and for many years. Uh, I didn't recognize what messiness was. So I would be like sitting watching TV or playing Super Mario Kart or whatever. And Shannon would be like, is there any way that you could pick up uh, around the house a, a little bit? And I would be like, I would look around and I would be like, oh, no, everything's good here. What? I don't even I, I don't know what you're talking about. And she would be like, well, uh, your pants are currently on the coffee table and that's not ideal. And also there's there's 17 uh, cans of wild cherry diet Pepsi uh, on, on the living room uh, table, as, as you might might notice. And I would be like, oh, that stuff. And slowly over the course of many years, Shannon trained me to have a better understanding of what messiness is. Um, but that was an act of extraordinary generosity and love between two absolute best friends. This person doesn't sound like your best friend. You should just kick her out. Yeah, this person, it's, in fact, it sounds a little bit to me uh, like you sort of waver in this question between being like, uh, this person uh, needs, we need to like come to a better understanding and insulting the person, which makes me feel like you have a bad relationship with the person. Um, yeah, I would just go ahead and... Uh, and sever the house maintenance. There's a bunch of people out there looking for roommates. Yeah, if that's an option. I mean, the other thing to remember is that a lot of times what this what this uh, this activity comes from, and I also suffer from uh, messiness blindness the way that John does, which is a, a struggle for, for Catherine, and, and she has also lovingly trained me to understand what, what messy is. Um, uh, but oftentimes I had a roommate that was a lot like this, and it turned out that he was, you know, struggling a lot with depression um and that can be you know like that's a you know unemployment is a symptom of depression uh you know not doing things is a symptom of depression uh and and you know not taking care of things that need to be taken care of um and so if you uh, do want to keep this person as a roommate or you have to then the thing to do uh is to create a great deal of structure and uh, and try and have that structure be the boss and not you, because one of the great uh, allies of of mental stability is structure, and uh, and and if you can create that and have it be something that this person doesn't feel like they have an option to avoid, then they won't avoid it. They will do it, and but that might mean 
being a little bit of a mom or uh or someone has to be the authority in that case and uh and if it's the kind of thing that this uh, person is going to be like you can't be the boss of me then you know maybe you find a different place or they find a different place however however it's set up um whoever's the p- person on the lease uh makes that is going to have to make that call in the end yeah i i agree with you i i i kind of feel like uh if you can't have open lines of communication in a roommate relationship, it gets uh, dark and walking on eggshellsy and passive aggressive really, really fast. Yeah. Um, so oh, you've yeah. got to yeah. just you've got to what what Shannon and I would always say because we had like other roommates who would come and go, and what we would always say to the other roommates is like, in this house, you must be able to fight. Like you must be able to fight lovingly. And forgive each other, because if things are not, like, open and honest around here, then, like, it gets super weird super fast. Yeah. All right. I, I, that's actually something that we both have legitimate experience with. John, do we have another question? Yes, we do. And it's another thing that we both have legitimate experience with. It's from Kathy. <laughs> she writes, Dear John and Hank, who do you think would win in a fight? John's puff or Patrick Rothfuss's beard? <laughs> um, I mean, John's puff is is amazing. Uh, it's a, it's elegant. It is. Some people call it historically significant. It is indeed historically significant. Patrick Rothfuss's beard is also all of those things, and also much bigger than the puff. And yeah. I would say, you know, significantly more uh, badass than the puff. Yep. Uh, so I think that Patrick Rothfuss's beard would win. Patrick Rothfuss, if you don't know, is the author of The Name of the Wind, an absolutely beautiful uh, a fantasy novel that's part of a series that is that is in the middle of being completed. And oh, he's a great writer. It's beautiful. It's wonderful stuff. It's it's like, uh, you know, if you like fantasy at all, it's basically, in my opinion, like the thing that happened in, in the, you know, since 2000. 10 that matters a lot um, i mean i don't i don't know anything about fantasy all i know is that like sentence to sentence he is a beautiful beautiful writer and i, I met him in real life at vidcon this year and uh, you know i'd seen pictures and everything but meeting him in real life is interesting because uh almost immediately as soon as you start talking to him you realize that his his beard is bigger than he is uh and it's it, he's really the only person he's the only person i've i've ever met who whose beard is 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 bigger than than the person the beard is growing upon. Yeah. So yeah, to me Patrick Rothfuss's beard wins going away. He's also just a lovely lovely person. Just haven't met a nicer person in Couldn't my life. Couldn't be nicer. Just so nice. Me neither. He's like incredibly supportive and nice and empathetic but also doesn't take any of your crap like He's amazing. He's, you know how like sometimes you meet people and you don't know them well, but you like meet them and, and, and you're like, I look forward to seeing that person again so mm-hmm. much. You have friends who maybe like aren't your closest friends, but you just, you love mm-hmm. seeing them. Yeah. He's one of those people. Yeah. Uh, we're working on a conference together. So we're talking a lot right now, which is nice to get it to be on the phone once a week or so. And, uh, and it's called NerdCon Stories and tickets are available now. The agenda went live uh, earlier or last week, I guess. Um, and it's going to be fascinating. It's in Minneapolis. And if you're around there, or even if you just want to come see a lot of amazing storytellers, authors, poets, musicians, uh, that sort of thing, then, uh, then come on come on over. John and I will be there. It's going to be a good time. 
I will be there. It's my only public appearance um, for the next year, actually. Um, also, Hank, I don't know if you know this, but uh, are you aware of what Maggie Steve Vader at Steve Vader, Steve, Steve Vader? Yeah. You know, Maggie. Uh-huh. Yeah, are you aware of what Maggie and I are doing? Uh, I heard I heard a, a rumor, but I don't know. I don't know if it's true. We are racing each other in an actual car race with actual race cars on a dirt track. Uh, a half mile dirt what? track outside of Minneapolis uh, no. that Friday night. So, in addition to going to NerdCon stories, uh, you <laughs> can go and watch an extremely successful young adult novelist uh, who is also a race car driver race me, a person who has not gotten <laughs> in a car crash in a couple of years. <laughs> I didn't know about that. I heard something about that. I assumed it was remote control cars. It's one of those things where, like, Maggie was like, would you want to do this? And I was like, yeah, of course, that sounds hilarious. And then, but, you know, like, I, I didn't think she would actually set it up. And uh, and then she's, like, asking me how, how the circumference of my head so I can get a helmet that's the right size. And I got to wear a fire suit in case the race car catches on fire. And I'm just thinking, <laughs> like, I've got I've to not get lapped. That's my goal. Just want to not get lapped. So that's Friday night, and then Saturday and Sunday is NerdCon Stories. It's going to be an amazing weekend. This one's from Natalie, who says, Dear Hank and John, my name is Natalie, and I'm thinking about applying to college in the USA, but I have absolutely no confidence in my speaking and pronunciation ability since I'm from Ecuador and I speak Spanish as my native language. Do you have any advice for improving my speaking? Yes, I do. Uh, Let's come up with a hashtag on Twitter for uh, Talk to Natalie, and maybe you can find some people who speak English natively to talk to you. What should that hashtag be, John? Hashtag Talk talk to Natalie. Um, So if English is your first language, just use the hashtag Talk to Natalie, and then maybe Natalie will find out about this, and and then she can talk to you. But in general, Natalie, I have to say, I think you're going to be fine. Having read your email, which was grammatically perfect, which is extremely rare for Dear Hank and John emails, (laughs) um, I think you're you're in good shape. Yeah, absolutely. uh, yes. Uh, all right. That one was easy. Hank, I'm going to ask a question that's somewhat harder now. Uh, this one is from Isabella, who asks, what do you do when your parents have a different political opinion than yours and they try to force theirs upon you? Oh, man. John and I don't don't know because like the like the only way that this has happened to us, well, it's happened to me a, a bit with my in-laws, though they are very nice about it. But with our parents, it's like, uh, we, like wh- how far left can you go? is is often the, yeah. the, the topic at our dinner table. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that we, I, I do have some different political um, yes. beliefs but, than my parents, but, but, but first, like, they don't try to enforce their beliefs on me, and they really never have, even when we were little kids. That's true. You know, when I, when I was, like, uh, nine years old, and um, I said that I thought Ronald Reagan should be elected president and not Walter Mondale, my dad was incredibly uh, supportive. In fact, I didn't even know at the time um, that... Uh, you know, he'd, he'd secretly written me out of his will, but, um, (laughs) (laughs) um, no, I mean, in our, yeah, our, our parents are, are extremely, I mean, I I wouldn't say that they're communists, but I would definitely say that they are further to the left than either Hank or I, and Hank and I are, are, are pretty, um, pretty liberal on the political spectrum. I don't know, actually, I'm not, I'm not as liberal as Hank. The order is, uh, my mother my father, Hank, and then me, almost in the center. Um, <laughs> in some Northern European nations, Hank, I would be a centrist. 
Oh gosh, in some northern European nations, you you would be you would be to the right. I might be actually. Um, so, like, I have a, a good friend who is a Jesuit priest. He is a, a Catholic priest, and um, he and his parents uh, often have uh, political disagreements. And he he has been a real model for me in like how to talk about politics. Um, or other controversial topics with people who disagree with you. And um, it seems to me that what he does very well is is listen. Um, he listens very well and very openly, and he, he, he tries to understand uh, people's concerns who disagree with him. And then he, he states why he believes what he believes, um, you know, very strongly and clearly. Um, and and he doesn't apologize for it, but he's also not aggressive about it. He doesn't assume that people who disagree with him are evil. Um, he uh, just, you know, like has X, Y, and Z justifications for his belief system. And I also, of course, often disagree with him as well, although my disagreements with him are different than um, his family's disagreements with him. And I find it really kind of invigorating and refreshing to be able to have conversations with him because they aren't confrontational and they it doesn't feel dichotomous. It doesn't feel like there's good and evil and I am always on the side of good and those who disagree with me are always on the side of evil. It's just really, really hard in contemporary uh, American political discourse to have those kinds of conversations, to embrace subtlety and nuance, and also to acknowledge the possibility that you might be wrong, which you might be. I mean, as strong as my convictions are, I might be wrong. I've been wrong before. That what your friend does and and what, you know, I think we should all attempt to do is really hard. It requires great presence of mind and also great sort of understanding of your own perspectives and biases. And it is important and such an amazing exercise in like, uh, in, in knowing yourself and understanding, uh, understanding, you know, where, like who, like how you became who you are. That's a difficult thing, but if you can do it, even if you can just try to do it, it's, it has, dividends that are way outside of like improving your ability to discuss politics with your parents uh, because it it helps you know yourself and it helps you you know better understand not only where your opinions come from but why other people think the way they do and that's it's hard but it is a really powerful uh, ability to cultivate. Yeah, I mean, I don't want to pretend that it's not hard, though, because I think on a day-to-day, minute-to-minute basis, it's often impossible not to feel outraged, particularly yeah. when people are, you know, expressing outrage at you. It's very difficult not to mm-hmm. respond to that by getting ratcheted up and, like, you know, getting angry. And it's it's hard. And I feel like, I, I mean, I think it's always been hard. But um, I certainly feel like the, uh, the the way that political discourse has become so um, so black and white that there are these two political positions mm-hmm. in America, one of, of quote-unquote liberalism and one of quote-unquote conservatism, has not helped um, our ability to have conversations because you are expected to be either one thing uh, or another. And then you, you, you kind of don't end up having conversations about policy. And that's the other thing I'd say is that I find it much more interesting and um, I find it much more interesting and helpful to have conversations about policy. Like instead of saying, should we tax the rich? Like, let's ask, well, what should the income tax rate on income over $500,000 a year be? 
you know, should it be 34%? Should it be 37%? That becomes a question about policy and about nuance, not a question about like the government is trying to take from successful people versus the rich have to do their part. Um, I find questions mm -hmm. about like specific policy considerations much uh, more beneficial to me personally. Yeah. Um, that being said, there's a complete possibility that your parents are just really mad and upset and scared about the state of the world and they think that things are going very badly and that makes them reactionary and upset and, and, uh, and it's, you know, that it's fear that's driving that, uh, you know, that outrage usually. And, uh, you know, personal fear, but also fear that things are just going places where they shouldn't go. And, um, you know, sometimes when I'm dealing with scared people, what I have, what I do is just sort of like acknowledge their fear and not engage with it because like, what are you going to do? Say you don't have the right to be afraid. Um, their fear might come from bad places. Their fear might come from unconscious bias. Their fear might come from, you know, just being exposed to people who are intentionally trying to scare them all the time. Um, but there's not a lot you can do about that. Yeah, yeah, I totally agree with you. Let's move on to the next question. Hank, our next question comes from Emily, who writes, Dear John and Hank, I've been having trouble falling asleep lately, particularly because I want to hum and sing songs I get stuck in my head. Do you have any advice on how to get the song out of my head so I can get to sleep? Thank you for your dubious advice, and don't forget, it's a comedy podcast. Oh, Emily, I have already forgotten that it's a comedy podcast because all I see in front of me is the gaping canyon that is the endless misery of being unable to sleep until finally, at last, death comes for you and you can do nothing but sleep. Oh, um, I have a, 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 a higher a sort of surface level question here. Is it possible that you, uh, a person who's having trouble sleeping and is singing all the time, have a roommate who might think that you are really messy? <laughs> Emily, I just need you to, to double check that you are paying your bills on time and not really messy. Because I think the underlying problem could potentially be that, that you know, you're having... A difficult time with, with the unemployment and everything. But if you're a different person, then, um, then yeah, I think we need to look at different, uh, different possible solutions here. My number one go-to solution for an earworm, which is a song stuck in your head, is uh, Free Fallen by Tom Petty. Um, once I just start singing Free Fallen, whatever was in my head goes away and I can just drift off to sleep um, Free Fallen. I am... Um... I have no ability to help you because I sleep really well because I take medicines that make me very tired. So you could take mercaptopurine and that works for me. Uh, <laughs> it just, it's, it's, uh, it's, it's not, it's not without its side effects. It is not intended to be a sleepy drug, but it sure does knock me out. Um, yeah, Emily, go ahead and get ulcerative colitis so you can uh, take the pill that Hank takes to make him sleepy. It's worth it. <laughs> you know, Hank, when Sarah and I first uh, started dating, uh, like we would, uh, you know, like, well, mm, you know, when we first, Hank, when Sarah and I got married and began to sleep in, uh, in, in the same bed for the first time in our entire relationship, um, she would, uh, she would often sort of be chatting with me toward the end of the evening and I would be talking back to her and, and we and I'd be talking about something and then I would look over and I would learn that she, uh, was asleep. 
And in fact, <laughs> in the 11 or 12 years that we've been uh, a going concern, I've never seen her take more than 12 seconds to fall asleep. It is the most infuriating thing about my wife. The idea that you can lay your head upon a pillow and fall asleep at the time of your choosing is so foreign to me, and I am so intensely jealous of it. I can't even explain it to you. Uh, so, Emily, I do empathize. My number one piece of advice when it comes to sleeping is is to spend at least 30 minutes away from screens before mm-hmm. you try to go to sleep. Yeah, and the, another important one is to is to have a really set schedule of sleep, which is very hard to do, but that's what the sleep scientists say. The number one thing for insomnia is going to sleep and waking up at the, at roughly the same time every day. And who does that, though? Really? But, you know, the other thing, Hank, I can't help but recommend as a solution to this, this humming business, maybe listening to, uh, you know, the, the sweet, sweet baritone of a podcast before you go to bed. Like, for instance, maybe re-listen to uh, old episodes of, of Dear John and Hank. <laughs> I don't know that that's a good idea. We're too engaging, John. Today's episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Dear Hank and John itself. <laughs> that's right. We're sponsored by Recursion. Oh, man. Uh, Listen to Dear Hank and John. It's available on iTunes or wherever podcasts are free. Today's episode of Dear Hank and John is, of course, also brought to you by NerdCon Stories. NerdCon Stories, October, Minneapolis, race cars, stories. Today's episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Patrick Rothfuss's beard, which is epic and glorious and historically significant and would totally win over John Green's puff in a fight. Today's episode of Dear Hank and John is brought to you by Taylor Swift. Taylor Swift, (laughs) the most important country and pop musician of the last 15 years. Taylor Swift on tour now. Ah, Taylor Swift on tour now. I'd I'd go see her if she came to Missoula, Montana. I'll tell you what. Um... Well, she isn't, because I have all of her tour stops memorized. Uh, yeah, I don't know that she would find a room that could be really suitable. Though we do have a stadium. She could she could just play at the stadium. Sometimes people do that. The Rolling Stones played. We had the Rolling Stones, John. We're a big metropolis now. We had the Rolling Stones play at the Indianapolis Motor Speedway on July 4th. It was magical. I was not actually in town because I was touring for Paper Towns, but I heard that it went well. Speaking of which, uh, we have a question from Robert. Robert writes, Dear John and Hank, John has written in the past about the do's and don'ts of meeting him or any well-known person as a fan. My question is, what are the do's and don'ts of conducting a press junket interview? Oh, my. There are lots of ways it can go wrong, but what can make it go really well? Uh, Well, I've not done... uh, I've done a couple of press junket interviews, but John has done a million of them. Literally. Also, uh, an, an added question to this is, how can John Green not embarrass himself when meeting Taylor Swift? So let's let's do let's do Robert's question first. Hank, talk yeah. to me about what kind of fan interaction works for you. Like if you're in Target and you're meeting Taylor Swift, what what no, that's not no. Like if you're in Target and someone comes up to you and says hi, like uh what's the ideal way it could go? Um it I mean there's there's multiple ideal ways. Like some people will just be like, Hey, thanks for the videos that helped me with biology, which is great. Like I like that a lot. Because then I feel like I like it. It was it's it's immediately obvious the value I provided. Uh, whereas uh, you know I also like it when it's more sort of obscure and like oh my gosh it's you I like all of your things you do so many things and I like all of them. Uh, that's also nice. I just it's to to me the as long as you're not expecting me to do something. 
um, like to to like be, uh, you know, like funny or like to like make like do some kind of performance, then I'm happy. I'm happy to take a picture. I'm happy to talk. I'm happy to, to you know, like you know, I'm happy to be complimented in public by a stranger. Uh, <laughs> But but there are have been a couple of times where it's it's been like uh, it fe- it felt like this person is disappointed that I am not uh, not doing like a thing, and I'm like, well, I'm I'm currently uh, just just here to buy my to, to get my suppositories from the pharmacy. <laughs> so, I just yeah, I mean, I would say 99 percent of the time I've been. Um, uh, approached by fans, it's been awesome. Like it, it's it, it is really encouraging uh, to hear from people to get to hear from people directly. Um, you know what kind of stuff that you make matters to them and how it matters to them, um, and that varies from like the person at Target who pointed at me and said "Crash Course World History" and gave me a fist bump and kept walking. Um, you know, to people who come up and tell me that they're nerd fighters and um, and what you know the nerd fighter community uh, means to them, and and that gives me a chance too to talk about how much it means to me. So that's that's really lovely, and I think like that's the perfect thing, and that's what I'm going to try to do if I do meet Taylor Swift. I'm just going to say, you know, I really love your work, and I when when we were on the set of the Paper Towns movie, it was it was long days and and a lot of hard days for me, and um, I listened to. 1989 every day and it was like the soundtrack of that part of my life and I'll always have wonderful memories because of it um not that I've practiced what I'm gonna say uh (laughs) but as far as as far as press junket interviews go um I mean I I don't nobody likes press junkets the press doesn't like them the 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 people who are doing them don't like them I think the people at the studio who organize them don't like them I I think the the people who are running the cameras and the mics don't like them I don't think it's fun for anyone I think it's it's considered sort of a necessary evil to try to get get the word out about the um the movie um or whatever the project is I I I guess I guess the only thing I would say is is to to try to remember that um the people that you're talking to have been talking to people all day and that they've, they've had a different interview every six minutes and that they are feeling probably pretty dehumanized and pretty exhausted. Um, when I was uh, on the press junket for Paper Towns, um, a, a hippopotamus escaped a zoo in Budapest, I think. And um, every between every interview, Nat Wolf would just show me a picture of this escaped hippopotamus and he would whisper, someday that will be us. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and I found it tremendously comforting to think of the escaped hippopotamus. And on multiple occasions, people would like test how well Nat and I knew each other. And, and one of the questions would always be, um, do uh, like, what's your favorite animal or what's John's favorite animal or whatever. And it would we would be so specific. We would write uh, hippopotamus recently escaped from zoo in Budapest. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> um, yeah, I mean, the only thing I would say is, is, you know, if you have to get the quotes that you have to get, then like go in and ask the questions that you have to ask. And, and I guess probably don't have a particularly high set of expectations for what people are going to say, because I think it's almost impossible um, to answer a question thoughtfully when you're so tired and feel so weird. And yeah, but um, if you want to try to have a, like a really interesting thing, then just do something that's completely different where you don't ask any of those questions and you just maybe allow them to play a game. Like I remember when I was in um, Brazil, a reporter uh, played a game with us where she was like, Nat, you and I are going to create a new John Green novel together. And John, you are going to provide the dialogue. 
And that was really like a really fun seven minutes. In fact, at the end of it, Nat was like, can we please just keep doing this and stop the other things? (laughs) So I don't know. It's not easy. And like, I think it's kind of inherently dehumanizing. It's really difficult in those situations for the people who are being interviewed to remember that the interviewer, you know, is a person who is having a very specific seven minutes of their day. And it's really difficult for the interviewer to think that about um, the people who are being interviewed. So my strategy moving forward is going to be trying to avoid them as much as possible. This episode of Dear Hang John is brought to you by Thrive Market. Thrive Market is there to help you maintain the kinds of habits that you want to have. For me, I need to have the right kind of food in the house or I will eat whatever. Oreo recently sent me some free fancy Oreos. They were weird. I ate all of them. I ate all of them in a week and it was a problem. I can't do that. I need to have healthy, good stuff in the house and Thrive Market can help you have healthy habits. It's a great go-to for all your grocery and household essentials and the convenience of getting everything online and then like just quickly shipped to the doorstep. It's a huge time saver. Thrive Market carries brands with great ingredients and sourcing methods. They got Amy's, Banza, Burt's Bees, Chobani, Honest Kids, Kind, Mike's Hot Honey, Oatly, Olipop, Poppy, Salt, I've never heard of salt, but it's got two A's in it, so it has to be good. And as a Thrive Market member, you can save money on every single grocery order. On average, you can save over 30% every time. And they also have a deals page that changes every day. When you join Thrive Market, you are also helping a family in need with their one-for-one membership matching program. You join, they give. Join in on the savings with Thrive Market today and get 30% off your first order, plus a $60 free gift. I enjoyed my $60 free gift. I was surprised by it, and it was the kind of thing I wouldn't have bought. And then now I'm like on the ghee train. They gave me free ghee. And I was like, I don't know what ghee is. But then I was like, oh, this is great. It's like butter, but it's different and more spreadable. <laughs> Go to thrivemarket.com slash dearhank for 30% off your first order plus that free $60 gift. That's thrive, T-H-R-I-V-E market.com slash dearhank, thrivemarket.com slash dearhank. All right, John, it seems like it might be time for the news from Mars and AFC Wimbledon. It is, Hank. I think it is time. What's the news from Mars this week? Well, in Mars news on uh, the, the, I think, the Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. No, it was uh, with Stephen Colbert. Uh, the new the new Colbert show, which I don't know what that's called. It's very confusing because they all sound exactly the same uh, to me. Did he not change his name to Colbert now? Is he still Colbert? I would assume that he, st- he didn't stop. Oh, I thought stop. Colbert was just the... Just the, the, the act, but I, is that his real I name? I think that's his real name. Okay. Um, nice guy, by the way. Yeah, he seems like a great guy. Um, I No, but I've, I've hung out with him. He oh, was really nice. Oh, right, you did, yeah, yeah. Uh, I have not. I just hung out with the president, so. That was a total brag, I apologize. I want to apologize to my friends and family for that clear, unadulterated brag. That's fine, no. Nothing, nothing wrong right. with bragging. Uh, well, Elon Musk was on, on Stephen Colbert's show, and uh, they were talking about Mars. Mars came up. I, I, hate, I hate to bring this up, but I've also hung out with Elon Musk. <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you get to go to the White House and, and hang out with the president, John? No, 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 but only because I was like, eh, I think my brother should do that. He hasn't had a big, big media hit uh-huh. in a while. Uh-huh, yep. That's, 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 that's how I remember it as well. <laughs> All right, I'm it's sorry. Not, what not. did my friend Elon anyway, Musk talk about with my friend Stephen Colbert? They were talking about Mars and how, uh, how to potentially make Mars habitable uh, or, or more habitable for future visitors. And uh, Elon Musk proposed the fast way to, to make Mars a little warmer and give it some atmosphere would just be to drop a bunch of thermonuclear bombs on the poles 
of the planet, which... Uh, what? Uh, yeah. So uh, Elon Musk, uh, you know, noted um, Tony Stark impersonator, uh, creator of, of many amazing things, including uh, PayPal, which no one talks about, and, uh, and Tesla Motors and SpaceX, has proposed that we drop H-bombs on the poles of Mars so that the, so that that, the carbon that dioxide and water in, that is stored in the, the poles of Mars would be released to the atmosphere. Then there would be a, quote, runaway greenhouse effect, uh, which would warm the planet further, which would create more carbon dioxide and water being released into the atmosphere, which would warm the planet further, etc. Um, this is a, a legitimate idea. Uh, there are a couple of problems with it. One, if there is an ecology on Mars, it would be the largest scientific discovery in the history of mankind. And we don't want to just really mess up that ecology really fast before we study it. Two, uh, you're jumping a bunch of thermonuclear weapons on Mars, which might be... Uh, you know, there are ways to design nuclear weapons, so like particularly fusion bombs, so that they have less fallout, but there's still going to be some fallout. That's not ideal. And of course, you are just releasing carbon dioxide and water into the atmosphere, which is not the kind of atmosphere that humans would really enjoy breathing. But it would help shield astronauts from radiation, and it would, uh, it would increase the pressure of the planet which is good because it would mean, you know, less vacuum to immediately uh, kill people at, who are on the surface. Uh, it does not solve a lot of the problems that Mars has with regards to habitability, but it's not a that far out there idea. Uh, you know, it's certainly not within the next hundred years, though. Yes. Now, Jim. as you know, I'm not a expert in science or in Mars or anything, but what, what would, if we did that, what would happen to the dinosaurs on Mars? Well... Uh, the dinosaurs that are on Mars uh, in our in, in Jurassic our, Mars our movie Jurassic Mars would uh, would have to be specially designed to uh, to function in that atmosphere, whatever that atmosphere is, uh, which it, it doesn't see like that doesn't seem outside of the realm of uh, of movie science, which is completely fake anyway. So let's just design uh, dinosaurs that can breathe water vapor uh, instead of oxygen. Which of course chemically makes no sense, but who cares? And and we'll be fine. Jurassic Mars coming to theaters. So it has not affected the uh, box office potential of Jurassic Mars. Not at all. I, I think that introducing the possibility of thermonuclear warheads into Jurassic the, the plot of Jurassic Mars can only be a positive. I actually completely agree with you because whether it's at the beginning of Act One or the end of Act Two, uh, there is definitely an opportunity for nuclear war on Jurassic Mars. So, Hank, I don't know how much you know about the history of AFC Wimbledon, but you're about to know a little bit more. As you do know, uh, back in 2001, the club uh, was moved um, by rapacious owners to the town of Milton Keynes, uh, 100 miles away uh, from Wimbledon, the historic home of this football club that had been together for 120 years. And then uh, Wimbledon supporters uh, in protest started their own club, AFC Wimbledon. But they couldn't start at the historic home of Wimbledon, which is actually, you know, in uh, Merton, uh, the stadium called Plough Lane. Um, so, in fact, on the closed, sad gates of Plough Lane at the very end of its history before it was destroyed in the early 2000s, um, someone spray painted Womble Till I Die because the Womble uh, is the uh, mascot of AFC Wimbledon and fans are often called Wombles. 
And um, and so now they play their games in in Kingston uh, at at a um, in South London at a stadium uh, that that also houses a, a, a non-league side called Kingstonian. Um, but the dream has always been to get back to Plow Lane. In fact, AFC Wimbledon fans sing a song, Show Me the Way to Plow Lane. Um, the dream has always been to get back to uh, the, the historic spiritual home of this football club with a new stadium that can support permanently um, you know, a club of AFC Wimbledon size and maybe even allow them uh, to make more money and, and have you know more concession sales and stuff so they can maybe get up to League One or, or even higher. And so they're trying to build this 11,000-seat stadium that's directly across the street from where Plow Lane was. Plow Lane is now houses. Um, and uh, it's been a long effort. It's, it's really beginning uh, to take shape now. And as part of that, they're selling Kings Meadow, um, their current uh, stadium, to Chelsea Football Club, one of my least favorite, possibly my least favorite football club, owned um, by Roman Abramovich, who bought the the uh, club Chelsea w- literally with the blood of res- Russian peasants. He just sent um, a large amount of Russian peasant blood to London um, and then was given Chelsea Football Club. So anyway, uh, Chelsea, it looks like, is going to buy Kings Meadow to help fund the building of the new AFC Wimbledon Stadium. And this is great news um, because for the club to really really exist long term they need a a stadium uh they need a place of their own that's in the community of um of the football club and uh this is a huge huge deal uh to Wimbledon fans I mean for instance Hank uh, MK Dons fans you know the team that that Wimbledon that that stole Wimbledon away and and made it their new team in Milton Keynes you know them sure yep uh, they sing to make fun of AFC Wimbledon. They sing "You're just a pub team from Kingston" to say like you're not really Wimbledon um, and you're not really a club. You're just a pub team from Kingston. To be able to be back in Wimbledon in a stadium um, that's appropriate for a football league club uh, really would be the end of this story, um, and and would put the club on a, on a stable path where they can really they can survive. Um, and so it's a huge deal to be selling Kings Meadow. Uh, to help fund the building of the new stadium, but there's still a long way to go. And if you're a member of the Don's Trust, which Hank, by the way, you are, I just bought you a membership. You own exactly oh. as much AFC Wimbledon as I do, or as the chairman of the club, Eric Samuelson, does. All 5,500 of us own equal shares of Wimbledon. Um, happy birthday. Um, oh, if you're thanks. a member of AFC Wimbledon, um, you, you can vote. In fact, you need to vote. Um, if you remember the Don's Trust, you need to vote uh, to to help move this forward to to sell the current stadium and then to uh, invest to buy uh, and build the new stadium. It's a really really exciting time in the club's history, and and really for the first time, you know, in in the last ten years, it, it looks like uh, the stadium might might actually happen. Uh, that's great. Uh, what's going to happen? To the current stadium that Chelsea owns it, though. Oh, yeah. So Chelsea is going to turn it into a uh, place for their women's team and also their youth teams. Oh, okay. Um, So they'll play their games there. um, And uh, it'll be good for the development of their women's side and and their, like, under under 18 side. 
Um, so it's great for them too, uh, potentially anyway, um, because Chelsea need a better developed uh, women's soccer program. As I've talked about previously in the podcast, AFC Wimbledon has a really strong women's soccer program, but many teams uh, in the football league, including very famous ones, don't. Um, like Manchester United doesn't have a women's soccer team at all, which is just an embarrassment. Um, and so it's great. I think it's great, potentially great for everyone. But the main thing from from Wimbledon's perspective is, you know, gosh, how amazing would it be to have an 11,000 seat brand new state of the art stadium Um you know, where, where they could play and, and grow into being being the, the club that, that they could be if they just didn't have this very small stadium. Cool. That's exciting, John. I'm so excited. I can't even tell you. I can't wait to go. Uh, Hank, we're going to do so many crazy sponsorships of the new stadium. I'm going to get so many, like, bricks on, on, the, on the walkway to the new stadium dedicated to you. Um, <laughs> I'll be like, this is the Hank Green Mars Sucks brick. <laughs> Um, this is the fourth rock from the sun. Who cares brick? This is the (laughs) AFC Wimbledon is more important than Mars brick. I'm going to buy you so many anti Mars bricks at the new stadium. All right. Um, thanks. I, you're a jerk. Uh, what did we learn today, Hank? Oh, we learned that you can, uh, never really know why your roommates being a bad roommate. So you need to talk about it. And of course, we learned that uh, the key to taking Jurassic Mars to the next level is thermonuclear warfare. We learned that a podcast can sponsor itself. And we learned that if a song Free Fallen by Tom Petty wasn't in your head, it is now. Hank, thank you so much for podcasting with me. This is my favorite part of the week. And I also uh, I also want to thank everybody for listening. Their comments and responses on Twitter. I still check my at replies, even though I'm not tweeting. Uh, really do mean a lot to me. So thank you guys for listening. And uh, we hope that you continue to enjoy the podcast. Yeah, if you could uh, hashtag your things on Twitter, hashtag Dear Hank and John, so that we know that those things are there. Don't use hashtag Dear John and Hank. That would be confusing. The show's called Dear Hank, Hank and John. why don't they just use hashtag talk to Natalie? And that way Natalie can also have more people to get in touch with. Well, I think that uh, if they have specific questions with regard to Dear Hank and John, they want to correct us on something. In fact, we do have a correction, which is that I said that the number one impact that you can have on the world is by uh, controlling how much you heat or don't heat your place of dwelling. But in fact, I was corrected. The number one impact you can have is eating less meat, which... Uh, there's a tremendous amount of uh, of greenhouse gases that are produced in the production of meat, especially the the large animal meats of of pork and beef. Uh, so that is a thing that you can also do, and uh, and has a tremendous impact. Um, so corrections such as those, or uh, or just comments, so that we can see what people are thinking. Uh, you can hashtag dear John and Han- ah dear Hank and John ah hashtag dear Hank and John. I prefer the hashtag dear John and Hank myself, but I guess it's up to readers, <laughs> listeners, whatever they call themselves. It's fine. Use dear Hank and John. That's fine. Uh, today's podcast yeah. was edited by our friend Nick. Yeah, it, uh, the theme music is from Gunnarola. You can send us questions at hankandjohn at gmail dot com. And as they say in our hometown, don't, don't forget, forget to, to be, be awesome. awesome.